Hey there, Prambling. It's Uncle Luke here. So, I just wanted to first of all say sorry about last week. It was uh, Easter and uh, too many plans and... Uh, could not sit down and record an intro and outro to this podcast, unfortunately. However, here we are now, part two of The Magician with Scott Harris. I am so excited to bring you this uh, next part of the conversation where we really get into, you know, what is The Magician? What's the whole purpose of him? And uh, what does he do for us? And who are the shadows of The Magician? And what do they do to us? Now, just a quick little recap uh, for the last uh, episode we listened to, uh, that was Magician Part 1. In that episode, uh, I asked Scott a little bit about his story, and then we went into uh, what are the masculine archetypes, and uh, why are they useful? Um, I believe we also talked about the position of the safety officer, and um, what a shadow actually is. It was a uh, very fascinating conversation, and if uh, you haven't heard it yet, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that one first before this one. So yeah, I'm very excited to bring you this uh, part of the conversation, and um, yeah, next week uh, I hope to get to uh, Warrior Part 1 with you, and I'm actually very excited to share that conversation with you. I felt it was very meaningful and impactful for me, but yeah. Um, you know what, without any further ado, let's just dive into this uh, next part of the conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. I was hoping to maybe shift gears to, um... A little bit more of the the topic of today, which is uh, we're talking about the magician of the four archetypes, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I was I was curious who is the magician? How could we describe this? I uh, I sat down and I you know I wrote this down. Let's see what I got written here, and this was all just free flow out of my brain. Okay. So when I think of the magician in his fullness, the magician is your self awareness. Mm. He's the thinker, the analyzer. He's the part of you that seeks the answers to the universe, both within and out. His highest expression is the healer. He's the shaman. And he's a man who helps others to transform. Mm. As Alexander always says, the magician has a strong bullshit detector. Yeah. He holds the keys to your inner kingdom. And he really is the part of you that you need in order to see which archetypal energies are weaker and which ones are stronger, which is where the magician is interesting because that's why he's so slippery is, well, who's watching the magician? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I had that thought today, right? That's the problem. That's why when I talk to Rod on my show, we talk about how the magician is the most complicated. He's the most elusive. He's the most slippery. And I think it's because we need him to transform. We need him to grow. He's the part of you, Luke, that like, let's say you are overworking. You're in warrior mode. You're a workaholic and you're go, go, go. Your wise, healthy old man inside of you, your magician, is the one who will step in and go, Scott, you're working too hard. Mm. I think it's t- I think it's time for you to play in your lover energy a little bit more. Or, hey, Scott, we need more war- warrior today. Or, hey, Scott, it's time to be in your king. But the problem with the magician is, who's watching the magician? And that's why he <laughs> tends to get cocky, arrogant, 
and take over the throne and kind of take charge of the king, which is why Robert Moore has the king and the magician as the two, they're called tension opposites, mm. right? The warrior lover, tension opposites, right? Um, that's the work I've been delving more into now that I've done the, the solo study of these things. It's the, more the interplay and how they interact with each other in these sort of just simple day-to-day things, right? As I mentioned, if you're a workaholic. So I, I came to that realization. That's the tricky part is who's watching the magician. And he is the elder man. I think he is the wise tribal old elder man inside of us that is connected to the universe, always has been, always will be. And he is our intuition. He's the meditator. And back to what I said about how he's kind of the guy, the guy who can controls the the energies is I had this thought today when I was making notes for this is he is the inner compass interesting he is the inner like like the compass it's funny the the king is in the north the lover is in the east warriors in the south magicians in the west but really I think internally in this inner kingdom thing he really is the compass in the sense that he's the one that dictates which directions we need to go in and as it goes right back to what I said is who's watching the magician. And Mm. I think the challenge is that I think, yes, it's the King's job to keep him in check, but in a really kind of far out way, it's the highest magician to remain self-aware of himself to not go out of control. Wow. Because it's not really the king's job in a way to do that job. I don't think. I think it's the magician within himself has to keep his ego in check and be able to mm-hmm. go. And we'll get to this later uh, when we delve in a little bit more with the shadow stuff. Uh, I don't want to forget this point, but there's this th- thing uh, getting into spiritual ego and spiritual bypassing. Oh, okay. I've experienced them firsthand. Uh, and it's a, and I think it's a big part of what I just mentioned with the magician having to keep himself in check. Wow. Right. So, yeah. But that I think is that's the healthy the healthy magician. Jeez Louise, that's just like so relatable. But I think the healthy magician is that's the thing is the the, the shadow magician is the overthinker. Mm-hmm. He's he's the he's the part of you that it gets out of control. The perfectionism side of it. The healthy magician is very reflective. Mm-hmm. He has re- really good discernment, but he really approaches things from this. Oh, grounded yet what's the word i'm looking for he's grounded but he's also he's connected to the universe and all things and he's Mm. um, it sounds like what you're saying is um he's gandalf i had a he's gandalf (laughs) um it sounds like my friend minoji actually said this in a podcast if you have a big ego you're not necessarily in love with yourself but you're in love with the idea of yourself yes examples Right. The, the, there's, there's Gandalf, but then there's, I I always think of Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi is very much magician energy through and through. And that's my latest thing now is paying attention to these characters in cinema and their archetypal journey and story. Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) I think who else did I have that was, well, Dumbledore, of course, one of my favorites, and you've heard me talk about this. It's probably my one of my favorite movies now because i think archetypically it is on point with all the energies but this character embodies all four archetypes but he really is magician as well strongly is mr keating in dead poet society oh oh my heart oh (laughs) I, i see that movie now using the archetypes totally differently 
in the sense that it is that is about initiating boys into men. A lot of their parents are embodying the masculine shadows of the magician, of the tyrant king, the father, right? All archetypal energies are at play in that movie. If you rewatch it knowing the masculine archetypes now, it's it's mind-blowing how, how much they're present. And with Mr. Keating, what I love, Luke, about him, he is the perfect embodiment and balance of all four archetypes. Oh, wow. Think about it. He is very much the magician creating a space of transformation for young men, guiding them into manhood. So there's the magician. He is absolutely connected to his lover energy because he is all about poetry and he's encouraging the boys to express themselves. And in that expression, he's encouraging them to do what? Be warriors. He's encouraging them to step into the warrior energy. I'm getting chills just talking about Me it. Me too. He's, encourage, he's encouraging the boys to become their own men, to become their own king energy, right? To do what your soul and your heart is calling you to do. So he holds that fatherly king energy. He holds the magician energy. He holds the lover energy. He holds the warrior energy. Yeah. And at the end of the film, spoiler alert, when those boys stand up on those desks, yeah, that is them becoming men in front of him. Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> yeah, and you got the one character who um, is obsessed with that girl at school. But again, he's tapping into this beautiful balance of warrior lover because he's going after what he wants. And he's saying, you know what, guys, I'm going to tell her I love her. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to do something about it. I'm in my warrior. But yet he's also expressing his lover. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. And then when the boys go into the actual Dead Poet Society, well, what is that? That's sacred space. That's a container of transformation where they are expressing, they're expressing their warrior. When they do that little chant, I can't remember the chant, but they're banging a drum even, I think, but they're going to the whole dead poets club or whatever um it, it dude that is the movie of all movies for masculine archetypes but to segue it back to magician like mr keating is i think of him as really having that magician energy of creating healthy transformation for for these boys we were talking a little bit about the the safety officer and uh i'm sure uh some people listening are just like what the heck are they talking about so yeah like who is the safety officer what is his role you know how is he different from the magician how is he the same is he the same like who is this person <laughs> Yeah, so I, I wrote down some notes today, but I did this as an exercise for myself because I've done a lot of studying, I've done a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. So rather than go to Rod's book or listen to this lecture, I'm like, now that I've studied, now that I've learned this stuff, what are my words that come to mind? He is the protector of our wounds. That was the first thing that came out. He keeps us safe from danger. Yeah. And here's the crazy thing. I really want to talk about this. This was yesterday when we were messaging and I said, I have a topic. I had this thought is which archetypal shadow is self-sabotage. I, I think I have the answer, but I would just, yeah, I'm throwing that out there is that self-sabotage is a big thing for people. Yeah. Me for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think self-sabotage, it's magician, 100%. I think it's it's denying innocent one. I think it's the passive magician a bit. And it's a bit of safety officer trying to talk you out. It, it's the part of you, and the safety officer is this too, I think, is the part of you that talks you out of. It reasons you out because you're scared. Yeah. Because the, as you know, the key, the, ga the gateway emotion to the magician is fear. Yeah. So it makes sense. Self-sabotage is totally about avoiding fear or self-destruct mode. 
right? It's like you're in a relationship. Let's say I did this when I was younger a lot where I would self-sabotage them all the time. There's maybe a bit of king in there, weakling king. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. But I really feel like self-sabotage is such a crafty magician sort of thing to do, right? So yeah, I had it down as, yeah, he talks us out of things. And real quick, the, the safety officer, as you know, I think a good way to describe it too is going back to that analogy of me going up and doing an oral presentation and being ridiculed or teased. Yeah. It's kind of like the safety officer now subconsciously is going to try to avoid that situation at all costs. Yeah. Whether it is being a perfectionist and over-preparing, whatever that is, but the safety officers, it's there to protect us. Here's a funny example. I was with a client the other day. I slipped on the ice last week. Oh no. Slipped bad. I know how to fall well, so I was okay. It was bruised, a bit sore. Uh, and was having this conversation with my client just yesterday. And she's like, why is it when we fall down and like slide like that, there's this instant feeling of not just embarrassment and shame, but like, it's almost as if like, you know, we're waiting for somebody to make fun of us. Let's be honest, 100% of the time, people are immediately like, are you okay? They are concerned because they've fallen, they've slipped before, they know how that feels, how embarrassing it is or whatever. Yeah. So she's like, what is that? Why don't we just fall and feel okay about it? So I'm, I'm walking home, I had to text her because I'm like, I know what it is. It's because 99% of the time, the first time we did bail, we got laughed at big time. Mm -hmm. So now every time, we slip, we're waiting for the other kids to laugh. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think, so again, it kind of ties into what I was just talking about, where it's the safety officer, right? It's like, I'm going to protect you from that shame. I'm going to protect you mm. from that embarrassment. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of the safety officer maybe is also kind of like guarding the shadow bag. He's kind of like that part of you that's like protecting the bag. Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is the safety officer is another anthropomorphized character of our instinctual response, you know, mm -hmm. the fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses. And he's the part that we were just talking about when we're growing up as kids. He's the part of us that grows up alongside of us that mm. protects us from all these different things, right? It's kind of like... He's the one that's stretching and shrinking our emotional responses. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, like, let's say you come home from school one day and you slam the door and your mom berates you and gives you crap for it and shouts at you. Oh my God, been there. <laughs> the, the next time that it might happen a couple times before the safety officer eventually is like, oh, hey, dude, dude, the door, the door, be very careful. Don't anger it, right? Be careful. So there's kind of that thing with anything in our life that it, it, the safety officer does this thing. And Raw talks about in his book, and this is the problem with the safety officer is that when we become an adult, he doesn't need to do his job anymore. He's protecting us from things we don't need to be protected from. Do you know what I mean? And that's what's keeping us from expressing ourselves. He's kind of, you know what, in a way too, Luke, he's our censorship. Mm -hmm. He's our inner censorship. He's the guy that's like, nope, don't say that. Don't do that. And really keeps us from pushing through fear. Yeah. Oh. So is he like the healthy magician's like evil twin brother or something? Not even evil. I don't want to say that because he's protecting us and protection is good, but he's like the brother of the magician. That's just interesting. Okay. I could, yeah, he could be kind of like the doppelganger of the healthy magician a little bit, I think. But I think his intentions are pure. Like, oh yeah, his intention, you know what I mean? Like, so he's, his intentions are to help you survive. Exactly. Boom.
I think Rod even says that in his book. I'm pretty sure he does. It's like, yeah, it's it's about survival. Yeah. So he's not he's not evil or bad. It's just he uh, doesn't know how to deprogram himself after a while. Or you could even view him as the embodiment of all your wounds. Yeah. You know what? Maybe he's the he's carrying the bag. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. The safety officer has the, he has the shadow bag over his shoulder, not you specifically, but that part of you, that safety officer, he's the, he's holding that. Like the warrior protects the garden of your heart, maybe the safety officer is protecting and holding on to that shadow bag. And the more we face our fears and the more we face our shadows, the less load the safety officer carries. Oh my God. Ah, that's awesome. Say that again. Hold on. Hold on. Just say that one more time. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. Try your best. Try your best to say that one more time. Let's just let that sink in. I don't know if I can. It just kind of came out of... of... You said like, like the warrior is supposed to protect your inner garden. The safety officer is the holder of the shadow bag. Then, Then what did you... Right. And the more we... The more we face our shadows, the more we confront our wounds, the lighter the shadow bag gets and the less of a job the safety officer needs to do Boom! because he has less to protect. He has less to do. And the goal essentially is to give the safety officer nothing to do. Yeah. But get drunk in the corner of the room and go, my job's done, man. I can chill. This guy's faced his crap. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dude, I am. I I might do a post on that. I don't know, but that you know, and that's why I'm so so grateful for this conversation. And when I sat down to make the notes, because I'm like, okay, what have I learned from this process? Uh, I'm busy working with clients or just learning from the the masters and the people people that went before me. And now I'm like, okay, with all this stuff I've learned, like, what is my analogy of this stuff, and how can I then explain it to other people differently? And I'm like, that to me, you know what? That image now of the safety officer is the man. He's carrying the bag, man. And the more we work on that stuff. Yeah, the lighter it gets. And as you talked about, we touched on, they never go away, but they get lighter. And I think sometimes they can come back. So, but yeah, it's lighten the load. Give your safety officer a break, man. He's been working for since childhood. (laughs) He's been slaving away, protecting us from everything. Yeah, right. Give him a day off. (laughs) Give him a vacation. Right. It's going to need some work, right? And uh, that work, I think, really involves us facing these shadows. So I'd like to shift gears over to shadows, the shadows of the magician, you know? Who are they? What are they? What do you know about them? How does it all work? How many shadows are there of the magician? (laughs) We've got, you know, all the archetypes have two. As you know, you have the active shadow or inflated. I almost prefer the term inflated and deflated, I think. But yeah, there's active, passive, or inflated, deflated. It took me a long time to really understand these shadows. I think the warrior and the lover and the king really have these easy-to-digest shadows, whereas the magician always is very difficult to ascertain. And so you've got the the first one is the inflated is the detached manipulator. Mm. Tell me more about him or her. Well, how it's described in most of the literature and whatnot is, you know, he's the con man, or I added, he's like the evil sorcerer. He uses his knowledge for control and manipulation. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, think Saruman in Lord of the Rings now. So he is the the shadow of Gandalf, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Feels superior in knowledge, 
shadow magicians are in politics quite a lot. I had a guest on recently, Angel Millar, and he talked about how we're in the time of the black magician. Oh, mm, right. Wow. And of course, he is the overthinker. You know, he's the man that definitely overthinks a lot. There's a indecisiveness. So he makes no decision out of fear of what's going to happen, which again is a bit of safety officer. A cynical detachment. He stands back from his life. Again, we get back to this, how the magician will try and trick his own magician. <laughs> like he's, he's really crazy. Like he's so valuable and so important, but man, is he hard to rein in and control. Mm. Would you be down to share a little bit about your detached manipulator if you're comfortable with that? So first of all, the image that, that this, I wrote this in my workbook for Alexander. He's the intense school teacher mm. who snuffs out the playfulness of my lover. I think the detached manipulator for me shows up in a number of different ways and he still shows up quite a bit here and there. And that's where I study too much. I have to be the smartest person in the room, especially with this archetype stuff. It's interesting. And I'm sharing this as transparent as possible. He's the guy when I see even Alexander, who I love and I adore with every ounce of my being, you know that when I sometimes see them expressing their healthy magician, I get envious or I get a bit jealous or I get a bit like, well, I got to top that. I got to be better than that. Like I have to be smarter than that or create something better than that. And I think that is the detached manipulator. And that is the inflated magician where I have to be the smartest. I have to be the best men's coach. I have to be better than everybody. I'm going to judge people. Mm. You were just saying envy and jealousy. And it's so funny because I wrote down a few notes about them. Just a quick little recap for people to understand. So envy occurs when we want something that another person has. And jealousy is when we fear losing a relationship or a valued part of a relationship that we already have. And this is from Atlas of the Heart, page 25. Isn't it interesting how different they actually are? They are, right? Just like we were talking about how uh, archetypal language is just so important for removing shame from our lives. I think it's also really important to properly label name things to just you know help our psychology just take hold of what we're actually feeling and going through no it's interesting that you say uh the detached manipulator feels a lot of envy that's very interesting tell me more about that this is uh, another topic that i was really passionate about with this when i was goes along with self-sabotage that there are a lot of people who are coaches spiritual advisors who have not done the work and they are in spiritual ego and they are spiritually bypassing. You know, I hate doing this because I'm, I'm judging as I'm doing it, but it, it's that thing where, oh, I'm in touch with the universe and the spirits and everything they do is that work. There's no other facet of their personality. It's just simply, mm -hmm. I am the shaman. I am the priestess. I am the healer. And they're really in that energy all the time. But when I see that a lot, I get this sense of like, okay, like you found this spirituality, but I think you're using the spirituality the way someone would use exercise to mask body image issues. Spiritual bypassing is that thing where we're bypassing the real work by telling people I've done the real work. Mm. I have no problem admitting that I suffered from this, that when I was in my most meditative stretch, there was a lot of beautiful things that were coming out about that, but there were a lot of things happening where I felt superior to other people. I was just so awake and I was just so enlightened and I was so, and people, other people were just too dumb. I was very self-important in my solitude. 
I was too good for the world. I was like this and I was that. I honestly, and I disconnect with it now when I see other influencers or other people doing that. It, it To me, it's like, I so love and appreciate that you're, you know, I'm now channeling like the goddess of this or uh, this energy. I just find sometimes that I'm like, but who made you a shaman? Mm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of self-proclaimed shamans. Robert Moore talks about it in his lectures where it's like they do a weekend course now I'm a shaman. I can heal you. And that's, I think, a big problem in the world, Luke. Not having enough of that self-awareness and not allow themselves, like I did for a while, to get carried away. Like, just because I meditated for an hour a day for 420 days, that's amazing. Does it make me a shaman? Does it make me someone? No. Ugh, you know, you, you're you not a shaman and a healer until you are really, an, truly at the peak. When you're an elder, you have to be lived in to really get there. So anyways, I had that thought. I think there's a lot of that going on. And I, I kind of expressed that for a while. And I think what happened was I realized I was over inflated in my magician to the point where I was like, dude, you know, it wasn't until I met Alexander that I was like, you know, what's missing is your king, dude. <sighs> you think you've done the work. I don't want to take anything away from the people. They probably have done some work and I did as well, but not to this depth. And that's where this work doesn't let you escape. You got to really get the courage to admit your faults. Yeah. But I see, I see a lot of even men's coaches. I get that you need to mark yourself as an expert. I understand that you need to sell whatever your coaching is. But I feel like there's also a lot of this egoic energy. Be awesome like me, man. Ah, uh, yes. Look at me, man. I'm so in touch with my stuff. And that's one thing I love about the Unmasked Man and Alexander's work is I never see that energy ever wow and you know what's interesting is that as you're talking about that i just pictured a venn diagram in my head we were talking a little bit about how those who are riddled with shame usually use the linguistics of i am bad i am awful it sounds like those who are riddled with maybe a big ego or arrogance they use similar linguistics right i am awesome I am the best. I am strong. So we've got on one side, we've got the, the negative. That's one circle of the linguistics of I am bad. And then on this side, we have the arrogance with the linguistics of I am the best. And right in the middle, what do we have? We have language self-describing ourselves as 100%. We are this thing, right? The distance between thinking you're the worst and thinking you're the best is really just at the exact same spot. If you really think about it, right in the middle, is a type of self-sabotage where we think we're only one thing. I think it's it's another type of shame language. We're still riddled in shame because we think we're not worthy of being other things at the same time. It was just a really cool insight I was thinking about while you're talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> As a coach, I'm constantly monitoring certain things about myself where and again going back to like i said i think a lot of times coaches and people are taught to attack people's pain points to get them to sign up or to get them to join and i think there's a difference between saying are you this person like are you struggling with this are you struggling with that and if so i can help as opposed to your life is a piece of crap because you're not this and you're not like you're shaming them yeah you're shaming them and guilting them into action and i i can't get behind that I, it just doesn't resonate with me and it is self-serving because you're doing it on purpose to portray that you're the answer to their problems. And I, and it's this weird thing is it's like, well, my goal is actually to make them come to the realization that they themselves are the answer to their problem. So how can I approach it from a place of you've already got all you need. I'm just going to do the best I can to guide you through that process. 
but you have all the answers locked within you. You have all the power to do it. And I get a lot of it on my feed because that's what I'm doing, right? And it's interesting. And you know, you're talking about this Venn diagram. You're talking about this middle path. Mm -hmm. It made me think of the triangle of the archetypes, shadow to shadow, and then the fullness at the top. I feel like we could apply that to just about everything in life though, is that people are also so stuck in one opinion or the other, and they shut themselves off from being a full rounded person, like admitting when they're wrong, admitting when they've made a mistake. One of the things I've realized, I'll touch on this really quick, because I had this thought, I'd like to get it out, is this, I think there's a battle going on right now with masculinity and femininity, okay? Mm. In the old days, it was alpha male, the man provides, the man is a conqueror, he's the hunter-gatherer, the woman leans on her man to help her get through life so she can raise the kids and do all of this stuff, okay? So that's the old paradigm. The new paradigm that is happening, and it is happening, I believe, is that because now that version has been deemed kind of toxic in a way, like now men need to be softer and men need to be more in their feminine energy and women need to be more masculine, you've had the feminist movement and now you'll see a lot more, like even in films now, there's a lot more women warriors. The men are softer, right? It's happened. That's the other extreme, okay? So you've got the two extremes. And I see it on social media where you got, I'll use men as an example, but you've got these men that I think are hanging on to the old paradigm. And they're like, no, we got to get back to being men. This is, this can't happen. We're, men are too soft. Men are too weak. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum where the softer men are like, no, you got to be soft and you got to be gentle and you got to be this. And I'm sitting here watching all this going, neither of y'all are getting it. The universe <laughs> is asking us to create a new paradigm that mm -hmm. is a beautiful mixture of both. Yeah. For men and women, we need women warriors and, and, and it needs to be whatever that full expression is of yourself archetypically, right? I'm never going to be alpha male. I'm never going to like the sound of a revving Harley bike. To me, it's ridiculous that somebody would even post that. Like, this is what real men want to hear. And I'm like, I don't. I'm a real man. Like, like yeah. but, but again, I see a man that is wounded, that is really trapped in this old paradigm that we need to be out hunting for fucking buffalo, pardon my French, and bringing it home to the wife and slapping it on the table while she's breastfeeding and like doing nothing but cleaning. Like, no, no yeah. man, it's, those days are done. But I do believe it's important for modern men to tap into a bit of that alpha warrior stuff for sure. I think that's an element of the An element of the spectrum yeah but you need to be yourself and if you happen to be a man that's a little more in his feminine energy don't rob that of somebody that man who's more feminine just needs a little bit more attention and reminder to himself to step into that energy but i just i'm seeing it now and i get it both especially the new thing that's happening i think with men is they don't know how to be they don't they're mm -hmm. lost because they're just like i don't know if i'm too masculine i'm gonna get in trouble if i'm too soft i'm gonna get in trouble so i'm like well what the answer king warrior magician lover <laughs> like like you what you work on all aspects and find out what your true expression is but it's interesting being a men's coach now sometimes I, I i have problems with masculine and feminine because it divides and my thing is if i am a spiritual being experiencing life in this body then my spirit is just expressing itself the way it needs to which is why you have transgender that's what i think mm. it's it's your spirit that's how your soul wants to express itself take reincarnation just for a second pretend reincarnation is a thing okay let's say potentially i'm not saying this is the truth but let's just say i've had the thought that i was a woman in a past life which is why in this life i'm experiencing a man's body but having strong feminine kind of energy and instincts so my 
journey is how to be a man with this soul, with this soul's experience right now. So in my next life, I'll probably be maybe a little less feminine because I, my last life, I experienced it as a man and it just kind of moves on. So when I think spiritually, I just think that masculine and feminine, it's just this, it's a human construct where we're trying to cling to division again. This is a man. This is a woman. One of my favorite words, Luke, that a coach said, I'm stealing this one. You can say this about women too. Men need to have range. Range. I mm. love that word for this work. It's about range. It's not about being the guy who is, is on a carnivore diet, riding a Harley Davidson. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or being the soft, gentle, nonstop poet or whatever you want to call each end of the spectrum. It's range, yeah. man. A real man, a true man, expresses every part of his energy to the universe and his king knows when to be lover and his king knows when to be king and warrior and it takes work and it takes effort but the minute you start to identify with this is a man or this is a woman we lose all spiritual growth we lose all of that true essence of who we are wow. because at the end of the day to bring it all back together at the end of the day if you believe in spirituality and that we are a spirit we're not a man or a woman we're yeah. a spirit inhabiting this body and experiencing life so let go of what you deem and that's why i do support transgender that's why i do support gay and lesbian community because that's how i kind of like you know this whole thing of like they have a choice no they don't that is how they, their spirit is choosing to express themselves. Again, I know I ranted, second cup of coffee. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. I just think that it, it, it stirs something up in me when I see this kind of like, we're in a battle between the old paradigm and the new paradigm, which is an unhealthy new paradigm. And the mm -hmm. answer lies in uniting. The answer is always yin yang coming yeah. together in this perfect integration and union. And what I see real quick in, in, for instance, in men who are in that mode, it's like, dude, you are afraid of the feminine. I don't know what happened in your life, but you are not embracing your feminine. You are scared to death of the feminine because maybe the feminine hurt you. Maybe your mother hurt you. Maybe something happened. But honestly, this whew, again, just comes back to magician energy. And that is where the awareness lies of all of this stuff. Wow. Beautiful, thank you. We haven't gone on the other shadow, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, hey, it's it, <laughs> the magician is active with this one. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to word it, man. <laughs> um, two cups so, yeah, magician. Two cups of coffee in this magician. <laughs> I I'm love need it a though. Nap after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, I love it. I feel like for me during my journey, the detached manipulator was the first real villain that showed up in my story. I think in your workbook, you said, um, my inner child fabricates visions of grandiosity in my mind that inspire me only to be let down by my detached manipulator. That struck a chord with me. I was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> um, I've always been someone who has had a huge amount of talents. Um, I always latch on to something that like inspires me. And then I think, oh my gosh, I could make my whole life doing this. And that's why, you know, I, I, I do dancing, I do singing, I've done arts and crafts, I do podcasts, I do videos, I do far too much, maybe. And I feel like maybe one of the reasons why I have all these different talents is because I'd latch onto one and then I get a vision of grandiosity and then the detached manipulator would tell me, yeah, but you're not worth the investment. 
And I'd be like, oh, okay. And then I would feel my little pity party. I'd feel very depressed and then I'd find something else. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I could make a whole life of this. How inspiring. Yeah, but yeah, you're not really, I don't know. Self-sabotage. Right? Self-sabotage. And um, I always found that this shadow for me was so harsh and so cold. And, you know, I, I kind of wondered, where is his heart? I think that's why he's called detached, right? Because he doesn't actually have a heart. And so when I activated my creativity and I started to really anthropomorphize this guy, I pictured him as this guy dressed up in like a navy blue suit and he wears um, designer sunglasses. He always has a cell phone on him. And um, he kind of has this like early 2000s Simon Cowell demeanor. And uh, you know, the reason why he's so cold and detached is because he's a businessman. And mm -hmm. he says these things because it's just business. And so then that kind of gave me a little clue into thinking like, oh, maybe he's working for another shadow deep within my psyche that I don't really know about yet. Maybe he's he's just an employee. He's just doing his job. And so I called my uh, shadow the executive. You know, he's the businessman. He's doing his job to tear me down. <laughs> and if I can get a little bit personal, I think the executive is also responsible for my thoughts of self-harm. I think maybe there's also a bit of a uh, wounded king in that as well. Or masochist even. Yeah, masochist, right? But he's the one who would say the words in my head saying, you know what, maybe you should just off yourself. Maybe you should just kill yourself. Maybe you should just, you know, end it all. It's him saying it because he's the one who's like, well, it's just business. Yeah. I'm just doing my job. The interesting thing, though, about why those thoughts and words are very uh, ineffective is, um, you know, if I did actually kill myself, so would the shadows. They're gone, too. And it's almost like they're trying to kill themselves, too. So it's very counterproductive. Because in a way, your shadows are begging to be heard, though. Yeah. I mean, you know this from the work. They're screaming to be seen, loved, and accepted. Yeah. That's what they want. I mean, it's it's like the work is all about the king welcomes all aspects of himself to the table. Mm -hmm. So it's like anything when we suppress tears, that emotion is linked to a trauma. It's linked to a shadow. And by not acknowledging that desire to cry, you're you're suppressing that shadow when all that shadow wants. And a lot of times the shadows are linked to the, the inner boy. Yeah. You know, the boy is, he just wants to be heard and he just wants to be loved. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this thought earlier about the acting thing too, is I think I did a lot of that too, because I learned quickly that acting brought me the attention and the love and the recognition that I needed. Mm. Hearing the applause and my parents were forced to pay attention to me when I was on stage. <laughs> they, they, they had no choice. It was like, you got to watch me now, be loud. <laughs> oh, wow. I laughed there, but then my heart fell. Yeah. You know, I was talking a little bit about how, you know, I'd, I'd pick up on an activity or a talent and I'd be like, maybe I could live my whole life doing this. And then the executive would be like, no, no, you're not worth it. Then I'd slip into the other shadow and tell me a little bit about the other shadow of the magician, which is the denying innocent one. Is that what you said? Yeah, which I, I feel in a way, potentially what you're describing might even be more of denying innocent one. That's what I mean by I find the magician's shadows are the most complex and less... Mm -hmm you know, transparent, let's say, because what you were describing with, yeah, like the whole thing of like, you're not worth the investment or talking yourself out of it. You know, maybe there's more than one energy at play. It is a bit of weakling king. It is a little bit maybe of the executive for you or that part of you then pointing the finger, right? But again, I usually see that the detached manipulator as being that part of you that's 
overconfident. I mean, in the sense of like, I need to be the best. So I'm going to do what I can to be the best. But then, mm. yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. And that's where the more we delve into this work within ourselves, sometimes I've realized certain things. Where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I don't think that was that shadow. I think that might have been more of this shadow. So it's, it's in yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when I was writing about the denying innocent one, I think I mentioned earlier, but he wants the accolades without any effort. Uh. Mm, yeah. And he doesn't want to take responsibility and doesn't want to know himself. And that's another thing that's plaguing the world as well as the deflated magician, this lack of critical thinking, this lack of really wanting to know yourself yeah. and do the work of the magician. Yeah. And, and envies those who act and share, right? Right. Envies those people. And I made this note, it was a couple notes. One I made is the king needs to reward the magician or he will overthink and worry. Mm. So I think it's that idea of like when the magician starts to run rampant in whatever aspect the king needs to assure the magician that he is a wise counselor and that he is doing a good job and kind of has to you know keep his that ego in check uh, i wrote down as well i think the home of imposter syndrome oh. might might lie in this shadow mm. Because that again is that who am i to do this i'm not smart enough that language which is a bit weakling king who am I to be king? Who am I to be anything other than this weakling? Um, doesn't trust his own learnings came up to mind. Like it's that part where it's like, I know I'm smart enough. Like with the archetypes, I know I'm good enough to do this. I know I'm, uh, I'm ready for this. But the denying innocent one, you know, instills a little bit of that. Oh, yeah, but do I? I don't know. Mm. I think it might be the part of myself that's afraid to share. Because again, safety officer comes in because if I share, I'm going to get judged, criticized, shouted at, uh, you know, made fun of or, or whatever that might be. That's why it's important to have these conversations too, is you start to learn where, oh, wait a minute. Like even just now, I realized, no, I think imposter syndrome might be king. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How has um, the uh, denying innocent one shown up in your life, if you were willing to share? We've been talking a bit about that. <laughs> I don't think I have a lot of and did have a lo lot of problems in that shadow. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly there's safety officer issues and there's detach manipulator very strongly. But the way I've lived my life more is that I'm, I'm not in that shadow very often. And that might have something to do a little bit too with, and we didn't touch on that, is there's the one last aspect of the magician is the trickster. Mm. And he's the part that will humble you when you need to be humbled. A really good analogy for that is Batman. Robert Moore talks about it where, uh, and we're talking 1989 Batman, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, where Batman shows up in his grandiose ship, right? And he's already, he's very much in that inflated energy and the joker is is essentially batman's shadow but he's the trickster he is the trickster character and batman comes in and is firing all his bullets at him and missing right he's missing and then the joker pulls out his gun fires his gun like a couple times or something like that and shoots batman's plane down right well there's a lot to be said about that it's the trickster shooting down grandiosity which is what the which is the trickster's job is to shoot that down actually in the heath ledger one the dark knight that kind of happens he's standing right in the middle of the road and he's like hit me hit me yeah. and batman's coming being all powerful and he swerves at the last minute right it's like it shows the power of the trickster is there to humble the king in his grandiosity that's what he's there to do it's that part of ourselves and the reason i bring it up is because i think throughout most of my life i do have a sort of a humorous aspect of living where I really try to keep myself humble and remind myself mm. that stop taking yourself so seriously, dude. That's the trickster. The trickster is a party that goes, dude, really? Come on. Stop being such a, you know, like it's time to fart. 
let's go. <laughs> it's time to fart and then laugh about it because you're getting way too serious, Scott. Come on. Yeah. Where's that energy? Yeah. When I think denying innocent one, unless imposter syndrome lies in there a bit, let's look at Rod's book here on the, just, I'm really curious if it'll strike anything in you or me. He's passive. I'm rarely passive. <laughs> uh, there's certain things I think I could take more action on, but that's the introverted side of me, but uh, he daydreams a lot. So I think there's that daydreaming without doing anything about it. I definitely had that when I was younger. I think I've got much more warrior. I have, as you know, this, the more you uh, flex your warrior and your king and you go out and take action, the less you do daydream because you're busy just making your dream try to come true. Right. And it's interesting here. He says he seems detached. So it's interesting that it, even though it's the dying innocent one, there's a detachment there. And Robert Moore does talk about this, that the shadow magician in general is very detached from life, confused, appears distracted. He has a fear of authority, passive aggressive. I'm definitely not passive aggressive, carries a lot of shame. Here's an interesting one. And again, you could tie this into King. This is why I think some of them intersect a bit, but he, uh, he's critical and self-blaming, mm. uh, and procrastinates. So I think there's a lot of, with the denial innocent one there is that procrastinator sort of the opposite pole because i think the active magician the inflated magician that's why there's the perfectionism it's the opposite so the way to think about it in a way is inflated and trying to be perfect and better than everybody and then procrastination it's like you're just you don't want to do anything wow well, yeah you're just going to sit back and watch and criticize everybody who's trying to actually do something but you're too afraid to do it the interesting thing is in order to do it you need warrior see how these things like it's crazy all interconnected yeah no for for me i feel like i do have a denying innocent one pretty present he's been uh he's been seen and quieted a little bit more recently, which has been very nice, but I do recall having a lot of times in my life where I have been paralyzed by fear, mm. by envy, by judgment. I've, I've really felt the effects of the denying innocent one. For me, he's very present after the executive has left. So the executive is mainly the guy who delivers the message to me. He's the one who's very vocal, very aggressive. And then the denying innocent one, he comes in and he's pretty much there to suffer the wounds of the injuries inflicted by the executive. He suffers the abuse. He feels a lot of shame and guilt because he feels just so paralyzed by everything, right? His inaction makes him feel shameful and guilty. And I always found that his power is very sticky and amorphous. The more I, I try to think about stopping, it grows. So then like, I can't really remove myself very easily from it. And I just get enveloped in him. I picture him as more of like a Smeagol kind of character mm -hmm. from Lord of the Rings. Uh, he's like very bony, skinny, hunched over. He wears a tattered green coat with a black scarf. And the reason why I chose green is because of the envy, you know, green with envy. And uh, he appears, you know, homeless, cold. And uh, every time I think about him, my heart fills with sadness. I called him the vagrant, or I could call him also like the transient. Oh God, <laughs> he can really take over my life. I sit with him a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I really start to believe the things, the awful things that the executive can tell me. You ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire? I don't think I have, okay, no. Well, there's a thing at the end of the movie where Tom Cruise shows up. It's this romantic moment where he's he says hello to everybody in the room and he's admitting his faults to his wife and how he loves her and then how he says to her, you complete me. Mm. She says the line is, she, she says, shut up. And then she says, you had me at hello. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah. As you were speaking, you had me at paralyzed by fear. 
<laughs> and I think this is just it, though, is that really hit like a lightning bolt in describing the denying innocent one. That's it, Luke. You can sum up that shadow, I think, in paralyzed by fear. And I love the analogy. Now I almost want to go back and watch Lord of the Rings or at least watch all of Gollum and Smeagol because I think he is a perfect example of a pure hobbit that is corrupted by the power of the ring mm -hmm. and gradually allows his shadows to consume him to the point where there's these lovely scenes where it's literally like his shadow speaking to him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes you, right? And then he's like, not listening, not listening, right? There's a lot of power, I think, in, in that as well. But so that was the, the thing I had that came to mind. But I really think you nailed it with because it makes sense. If the gateway emotion of the magician is fear, your deflated magician would be paralyzed by fear. Yeah. You said something about the the magician needs to be validated every so often to feel good about his efforts. I, I don't really remember how you worded that specifically, but um, it really made me think about, you know, moments in my life where family members, friends would, you know, maybe not say like, I love you or I care about you or I'm proud of you because they just assume that I know I'm your family member. Therefore, I am proud of you. I, you know, I'm your friend. Therefore, I, I do love you. We don't say that because we just assume it. And when intentions aren't communicated enough in our relationships, what fills the gaps of our intentions is judgment. And judgment is, I think, an activator of the shadow magicians. And we start to feel paralyzed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah, the magician is always very slippery. And I think it's very complex because I think he always wants to define everything. He wants to make sense of everything. And I think in that process, that's where we can get lost a little and you just have to learn to let go. And I think the magician does desire that recognition. He does a lot of hard work for the inner kingdom because he acts as king a lot in the sense that I think he is the council of the king. He's been in charge of our kingdom for a long time and it's hard for him to let it go to the king. The king creates a vision and he creates a mission for the warrior, but in many ways and at many times, it's the magician that is telling the warrior what to do, how to strategize. And I think sometimes that part of ourselves just does need a bit of that recognition of like, good job. We look for it in the outside, but it's like anything, it always comes directly back to the king where the king needs to be able to say to the magician, hey, you're doing fantastic. Thanks for <laughs> kind of running most of the show in a sense, right? Yeah. Because uh, the, the magician is a bit of that creativity, organizational kind of thing going on, and the warrior executes it. The warrior also is the part of us that needs recognition for a job well done. And I think a lot of times in life, in general, we do not, and this is, this is King Queen energy, we do not bless enough. We're so self-absorbed, myself included, brother. Like, I honestly yeah. we love to be so in our own trials and tribulations and things when you step into your sovereign when you step into your king or your queen and you just forget about yourself and you dedicate 10 minutes to tell somebody you know what i'm really proud of you you, you know i, I mm. see you working hard every day you know i love you i'm proud of you 
and, and getting into that energy and w- watch how fast the other person just either wells up with tears of gratitude or just uh, their body loses tension. They feel better. And that's why I think, and you know, we'll get more into that when we do the King, but I'm always having to remind myself of that. And it goes back to that jealous magician. I have my King has to step in and go, don't do that celebrate them mm-hmm. because their success is your success it means that you can achieve it as well yeah and there's plenty of abundance to go around that's all king stuff and that's where the king has to go hey man like stop being judgmental and celebrate other people and i think that is a part that will quiet those magician shadows is when our healthy king can step in and go come on brother like it's a win for them love their win even if it's someone you don't particularly like that much like still celebrate them and acknowledge that they deserve it as you will deserve it one day when you achieve the level of success that you want I, I love that because that was literally the next question I was going to have in that same vein is, you know, how do we show these shadows some compassion? And uh, I think we were just talking about that. It's, you know, maybe taking a minute to just tell them you're doing a good job, you know, and maybe that sounds a little awful when we think about, you know, some of the havoc that these shadows can wreak, but they all come from the safety officer's uh, shadow bag. And we just determine that the safety officer is there to protect us. It's for survival. And so if we really zero in on on that intention, then you know what? Yeah, our shadows are doing a really good job protecting us. And what I really love about this work as well is that it's so easy to show compassion to someone else. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to show ourselves compassion. But with this language, what we're doing is we're creating this other figure, this other person that is the embodiment of our problems and our issues. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly I have this ease into imagining looking at this person, for me, maybe the vagrant, looking at this homeless guy and just saying, you're doing a good job. You know, you're doing a good job trying to protect me. And I really do appreciate all the hard work that you do. You know, maybe even the the executive, you know, like I, I hear you really, really trying hard to keep me safe in my shell i just wonder you know are the spikes needed (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or the the sharpness is that is that actually helping you know um but thank you you know and it's self-compassion right so do you have any other ideas or was that kind of it or (laughs) you know no, it, it rung true. And self-compassion is your king. It's your queen. And that is really what the work is also about, is getting to that point where the warrior and the king will know when to ask for help, truly. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, the work is about providing yourself with that help. And that's the king. It's the king being able to step in and say, hey, whoa, you know what I mean? I got you. Because at the end of the day, no matter how much external support we have, all we really do have is ourselves. Yeah. If you don't build that strong sovereign within yourself, you are going to struggle because you're going to constantly be looking outside to rescue you. Yeah. For the shadows themselves, for me, sometimes I might let a certain aspect of, of a shadow have its fun. Mm. You know, with certain things, I might just be, oh, okay, we'll let you have this for a couple of days because we've been pretty rigid or whatever. So, you know, let's enjoy that wine or let's enjoy that junk food or whatever. Let's just give that a little, whatever, you know, we're going to. We're going to do that thing. But generally speaking, and I've brought this up a lot, and it comes from the work with Alexander, the idea of the king welcoming all aspects of himself to the table, Mm. loving all aspects of himself. Because what happens is we have to see these shadows for what they are, understand 
why they are the way they are and embrace that shadow and tell them essentially that it's okay. And when they pop up, my favorite motto now, and this, this happens from time to time where that inner magician shadow or that warrior masochist shadow or whatever it is starts coming up. And I, I feel that internal dialogue starting to take over. I just immediately imagine that fatherly king within me and he just turns and he looks at the shadow and he says, I see you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I feel you. I love you. But we're not going there today. And that that gives the shadow what it needs, which is to be heard. It just calms that anxiety that it's feeling. And a lot of that, again, is, is the boy that's scared. That is taking control of your inner kingdom. That's what it's about, being able to be there for yourself. Mm. And again, sometimes you are going to want to reach out. Yeah. The biggest things I've noticed since doing this work is, one, my feathers get ruffled not very easily. I don't sweat the small stuff. And I don't turn to anybody for help very often. I mean, certain things I do, of course, hey, I'm trying to grow a business. I'm going to go ask for, I need mentorship for sure. You're always going to need that. But it's that thing. It's the difference between feeling this intense depression or this intense sadness or the, this intense shadow and quickly picking up the phone. Help, help. And again, I'm not discouraging people who are suffering from depression to not reach out. In that state, you do. When I was really depressed, I, yeah, hell yeah. I reached out. I needed a lifeline. Yeah. But this work is about getting yourself to the point where you are your own lifeline. Wow. So that rather than picking up the phone instantly, you're able to just kind of breathe into whatever's coming up, face whatever's coming up. And in that king queen energy, just be able to go, I got you. <laughs> and I know exactly why you're feeling this way. You don't need to talk to somebody about it. Because you know yourself so well. You don't need their advice on this particular thing because you know what type of bullshit is coming up. You're like, ah, I see you, executive. I see you. Yeah. And I know why you're feeling this way. And it's okay to feel this way. But we're not going there today. Yeah. <laughs> Let me do this, which is a lot of times what we needed as children is we needed that king or queen without bias, without their own wounds, to truly guide the boy or the girl to greatness and hold that space and love that child no matter what. A lot of times children, parents will say, I have unconditional love for my child. Do you? <laughs> Do you really though? Because that's a pretty bold statement when you say that. Unconditional love? Because I think there's a lot of conditional love from parents, man. And it's hard because we do, again, I'm not speaking from experience, but I can only imagine the, the level of ownership you would feel over your child. Absolutely. But I think the challenge as parents is to let that go and let the child blossom the way that they need to. Yes. Like sometimes we think love is that warm, embracing hug. A lot of pe people think unconditional means I'm going to be there for you no matter what. No matter what happens, I got you. No matter what you're going through, that's unconditional love. Right. No, no, no. Unconditional love is when you love somebody for all their faults and their flaws and their successes. And no matter what, there's no condition attached to it. Meaning I'll love you more if you do what I say. Mm. <laughs> I'll love you. I'll love you more if you pursue the career I want you to pursue. You might call yourself unconditional, but that's conditions. Right. And the, uh, 
they'll maybe suggest, they'll judge, they'll not communicate their intentions, and, you know, all these other things start to take the place of love, and the shadows start to really dance and bloom and just wreak some havoc, and it's, yeah, it's very interesting, you know? Like, we do think that love is just that warm embrace all the time, all the time, and then, oh, you want to go off and gallivant and explore the world? No, I'm going to hug you tighter. <laughs> You're mine. I love you. Yeah, yeah. You gotta love them enough to let them go. I'm also hearing Alexander's voice in my head when it comes to shadows. And one of the exercises we did was, you know, listing some of the positive things about your shadow. Like, what did they possibly bring that helped you? Like, for instance, for me, it was the the perfectionist shadow. He has a standard and it's a high standard that he wants to achieve. And that's not a bad thing all the time. It's just knowing when to rein that in and not be self-destructive about it. When I'm creating... Man, I got to love that shadow, man, because when he gets going, that's where a lot of my my flow and my magic comes from is that quest mm. to be perfect. Yeah, I need to remind him, dude, we don't need to be perfect. I love the work you're doing. You get a lot done. I love you. I love the work you're doing. But you know what? We got to stop right now. We got to take a break. We got to go for a walk and let our lover do its thing. And it's not easy. Yeah. I've said this before, I began a lot, a lot of my life was in the lover space, probably a lot in uh, weakling king, a lot in some shadow magician, certainly masochist. Uh, and now as a man, I've, and I spent a lot of time in magician space and warrior alone. Now the thing I need to keep in check, my two dominating archetypes, hands down, because generally we have two that kind of dominate for the most part, it's warrior magician. Mm. You know, part of that's building a business and working on a podcast, but it's very much, it's the king and the lover that I need to continue to go, hey man, it's kind of probably why sometimes when I see people really overindulging in their lover, I get pissed off. And hey, it's fair, Cause, yeah. Because I see them and usually that's a reflection of what's lacking in me, right? I'm, I'm watching them go, oh my God, they're always out doing this stuff, grow up or do this. And I'm like, dude, yeah, maybe there's some truth in that and they're overindulging in their lover, but it's bugging you because you ain't giving your lover some time yeah you well, haven't you you're not giving any time for yourself in the garden wow what a incredibly lovely chat about the magician <laughs> that might have been honestly uh i've done a lot of podcasts uh obviously as you know that might have been i don't know there was a lot of stuff that needed to transmute or needed to come out of this conversation i started to feel it this morning like i said it was just weird all of a sudden i was like whoa magician's got a lot to say today <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful. Like my heart is just filled with joy hearing that. Thank you so much. I'm I'm glad that, you know, I could help create a space for your magician to just be free a little bit. And I'm really happy that, you know, you came on and you're willing to go on this uh, archetypal journey with me. Yeah, I just, uh, as we sign off a little bit, is there any like uh, additional thoughts or points or anything you'd like to say? Just honestly, in this moment, the only thing I want to say is just keep doing the work. Mm. Keep showing up every day. Don't beat yourself up, but just I have a lot of things on my plate right now. I have a lot of things that I need to get done. Mm -hmm. And it was just really nice because coming on here to have this conversation was a real eye opener for mm. me of how far I've come and how much knowledge I have attained. And I feel like in a weird way, my magician today is extremely satisfied and happy because he's seeing results of the work and the study. Mm -hmm. So my king is like, hey, dude, check that out, man. See, look at what's happened, right? Um, I love that. 
and just always grateful for any kind of these conversations. Yeah, it's important. Uh, you know, life is complicated. Life is hard. There's a lot of things going on in our own world. We can get self-absorbed, but the important thing is to connect and have these conversations. And I'll tell you right now, but this really lit me up today. Yay. <laughs> This conversation took it to another level because I think you and I are really starting to, when we talk about it, adapt it to our some of our own language a bit too. We're taking the work of Rod Boothroyd and Robert Moore or Unmasked Man when we're just reshaping the language and exploring it in our own unique way. And I think that's probably what I'm most grateful for for these conversations and I can't wait to get to Warrior. So yes, stay tuned for next week. We're gonna dive into the Warrior archetype and I'm really, I, I don't know how I feel. There's a there's one side where I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then the other side that's just like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, Warrior, that one's a hard one for me. So I'm excited to dive into it. I'm nervous as well, but that's okay. And yeah, I hope it's going to be, I, I don't hope, I know it's going to be another amazing conversation. So thanks, Scott. I really appreciate thanks, it. Yeah. Love you, brother. Love you too. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you.